Have you ever had a day that just changed everything for you? Maybe you're here this weekend and you're still waiting for that day to come. Maybe you're waiting for that change to arrive. You're waiting for that prayer to finally get answered. You're waiting on that healing to come. You're waiting for that relationship to be made right. You're waiting for that grief to turn into joy. You're waiting for that change. I want to change things up a little bit, so I asked members of our team to help me preach this sermon this weekend because they can definitely relate to the pains and gains of changes. Well, one group in particular that can relate to the pains and gains of changes is the people of Israel. You see, they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years, and they've seen Pharaoh, they've seen sorrows, and now all of a sudden they're hearing about this promised joy, but it's going to be on the other side of the Jordan, and God is wanting to lead them through the Jordan through a man by the name of Joshua. And so all the people crosses the Jordan, and, and God commands Joshua to tell some of them to go back. We're going to pick up this story in Joshua chapter 4. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know for me, if I had just walked through a bad scenario, there's no way I'm going back. And so here is Joshua. I can picture him tapping on the shoulder of some of these men saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to need you to go back to the middle of the Jordan. You see those priests right there where they were standing? I'm going to need you to go back there. I'd probably back out of it because I'm wondering, what if the water's close? I don't want to get stuck in this scenario. I'm not going back. But God begins to explain the significance of the middle, of the stones, and he says this in verse six and seven. He says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. These stones had a significance because it was a story of when the Jordan River stopped and when God showed up. And that story was meant for them to share. Maybe this weekend you find yourself right in the middle. In the middle of addiction, in the middle of heartbreak, in the middle of a problem that seems so insurmountable. Perhaps right in the middle is a stone that could change everything. Now, I remember a time when I was struggling with every aspect of my life. I was mentally drained. I was emotionally fatigued. I was spiritually dry. You see, what had happened is my youngest son, when he was nine years old, began to have seizures. Initially, they were small and almost unnoticeable, but as time went on, they became more intense and they became more frequent, and it actually got to the point where 
when he would have a seizure, he couldn't even stand. And I can remember many times having to grab hold of him and hold him up so that he wouldn't fall on the ground and hurt himself. And, you know, like any parent would, we began to take him to the doctors and began to do the tests, began to have them check him out. And I vividly remember the night we got the phone call and they told us, Mr. and Mrs. Snyder, your son has a brain tumor. And so we're recommending that you, you go down to Johns Hopkins and we're going to set you up for surgery so that it can happen as soon as possible. And to be really honest with you, we were just devastated. Uh, we, we, it tore our lives apart. It, it crushed us. And, and I remember a few nights later, we were at our house, and I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was confused. And I walked out on the front porch in the dark by myself, and I sat down, and I was going to have a heart-to-heart conversation with God. And I sat down, and I began to ask every why question you can think of. Why, God? Why now? Why him? Why at nine nine years old? Why are you taking the promise of a life? God, why us? I mean, I've been following you. I accepted you when I was a child. I followed you all my life, and now I've stepped away from a promising job to follow this call of ministry on my life, and now this happens. And he took, he reminded me of a story from Genesis chapter 22 about a man named Abraham and he had told Abraham, he had made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, but there was a problem. You see, Abraham and his wife couldn't have children, and they were old. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90, and through a miracle of God, Sarah becomes pregnant, and they receive this promised son named Isaac. But God asks Abraham to take Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 up onto a mountain and to sacrifice him to God. Now, that seems pretty crazy, Right? That God would actually take the very promise he gave and then ask you to sacrifice it back. But Abraham did. He gathered up all the supplies and they started up the mountain. And on the way up, Isaac looked at his father and said, Hey, I see you have everything for the sacrifice, but one thing, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And God's res- or, uh, Abraham's response was this, God will provide. And I want to read you a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, that talks about this, and it says this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. It was in that moment when I was reflecting on that story that in my spirit, I knew God was speaking to me and he asked me this question, can you trust me with your most prized possession? That was a tough decision. That was a tough question to be asked because I'm looking at my son whom I loved and had to turn it over to God. And I don't know if it was because it was the only response I felt like I had left, but I prayed this prayer, God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my most prized possession. And I'll have to be honest with you. There was this incredible, profound peace that came over me at that moment that I had never experienced before. There was a contentment that made me feel like everything's going to be okay. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you that God did a miraculous healing in my son and the tumor went away, but it didn't. We had to go to Hopkins. We had to endure the sur- watch him go to surgery. We had to sign the papers that say we understand that there could be brain damage or even death. We had to watch him put him on a gurney and wheel him into an operating room. But I'm here to tell you, God's faithful. 
He had the surgery. He had some learning disabilities early on. Once the tumor was gone, he was a top age student. And last year he got married. What a incredible story of God's faithfulness. But this is what I want to, I want to say to you. Listen, in your struggle, you can trust God. In the middle of your hard times, put your trust in God. And as I wrap up, I have one more scripture that I want to I give you. And it says this. It's from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. You see, you can always trust in God. And when I was able to do that, that was a day that changed everything. I remember when we got that call, when tragedy crept in, the moment that changed everything in my family. The call that once said that my aunt who was suffering from cancer, that the chemo was working, it was helping. To an instant, the cancer has spread all over her body and she only has a few days left to live. Immediately after that phone call, my mom bought plane tickets for our family so that we can go all the way to Ecuador, where she's from, where my aunt was from, to say our final goodbyes. The very next day, we were praying and begging all the way in our flight, all the way when we got there, that we had enough time to say our final goodbyes. Two days later, my aunt passed away. And from that moment, all the way up to her funeral, Questions upon questions upon questions filled my head. Why? Why, God? You were answering my prayers, but why did you take her away from her family that she loved, her siblings that she adored, her husband, her only son? Why? And it wasn't until her funeral, when the pole bearers were carrying her casket away, that it hit me, that he answered my prayers through this tragedy. She was no longer in pain, but she was rejoicing in his presence. A prophecy about Christ, Isaiah 61 says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Only through Christ do we have this hope. This hope in knowing that he, we were promised a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We were promised eternal life with Christ. Our tragedies become a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We are promised a life forever with Christ. We see this promise in Revelation 21.4, which says, He will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death or sorrow or pain. All of these things are gone forever. You see, when tragedy strikes, we need to hold on to the promise that Christ gave us, to trust in him, but be strong and courageous and not afraid. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says, we have this hope, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus himself endured suffering because of joy. A joy understood in the redemption of us on that cross when he died for you and me. You see, tragedy is worth enduring because of the great joy 
of Jesus' victory. The battle was already won and is eternal through him. You see, in that moment when tragedy hit my family, I needed to realize and accept one thing. What was and is a broken piece of my story, of my family's story, of your story, becomes a testimony of God's amazing glory. The moment that I realized that my prayers were answered, (laughs) that we have victory in Jesus, that he is making this tragedy into an unspeakable joy was the moment that changed everything. Have you ever been so focused on something and you thought that what you were focusing on was the right thing only to have realized that you took your eyes off of something more important and that your focus was on something that actually became an obsession, an obsession that would destroy your life. I remember as a teenager, when I was, my focus was on becoming a leader and I knew that that's what I was called to do and I was leading in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry, at the district level within our church, at my school and even on my sports team. I was doing what I felt I was being called to do. And then the world began to say, you know what? If you're going to be a great leader, you have to dress like a leader. You have to dress for success. So I began my obsession in the fashion world, and I began buying all the latest and greatest clothing that was coming up. I was hitting the trends. I even had over 30 pairs of shoes, dress shoes, in my closet in every color you could think of. Some of you might be able to imagine this. I had a purse that matched every color a pair of shoes I owned. And it didn't stop. I had someone who gave me all these business suits. They were sweet. They were fitted and tailored and they were top of the line. And I was like, yeah, see, even God wants me to dress for success. God wants me to have the best. Look at him blessing me. And then one day, my teacher, my high school teacher at our church, he went to my parents and he said, you know what? I wish all the girls in our church that she would look up to your daughter and dress like her. My parents, they came, they came excited to give me this great compliment. And as they shared it with me, I was like, I became angry. I became very angry. I became so angry that I didn't even want to go to this man's class anymore. A man that I respected greatly, but I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out why I was so angry. I couldn't figure out what was making me so angry. And then one day as I was reading the scriptures, I came across Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and plan not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I was like, yeah, 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 Lord, I have, I have read this verse. I have heard this verse. I know you have a plan for me. I am living your plan and I look good doing it. And then God says, you know, you can't just read one verse and claim it. You need to continue on. So I continued reading and verses 12 and 13 says this. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart. 
I realized I was seeking man's approval. I was focusing on what man and what the world was telling me I had to be and how I had to dress. I wasn't seeking what God's plans was for my life. You know what? There's nothing wrong with looking nice. If you're in the professional world, you know that you have to look nice. You have to dress professional. But when we take our eyes off of seeking Jesus and what he wants for our life, and we put them on the focus on the world and what the world says we need to do, we will find ourselves in an obsession that will destroy our life because we will never be able to be enough, spend enough, or do enough to fit into man's plans. But if you begin to seek Christ with all your heart and you seek his desires, you seek his purpose, you seek his plan, you seek his purpose for your life, you will receive the promises of a purpose that he has for you. You see, I had to realize, I had to stop obsessing over what the world was telling me. Maybe today your obsession isn't about fashion. Maybe your obsession is with the latest gizmo and gadget, the latest device and technology. Maybe it's in fitness and health. Maybe your obsession is about knowledge. Maybe your obsession is your job. You see, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Looking nice, having technology, staying fit, getting, getting a Bible college education, even your job, which is very important. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when you obsess over them and you look towards man, you will destroy your life. That day I had to learn to stop obsessing of what the world was telling me to do and begin to seek what Jesus was calling me to do. So can I challenge you today? Stop obsessing and start seeking Jesus. That's the day that changed everything. There were several years in a row that were very painful for me personally. I approached a new year like most people do with goals and aspirations and an inspirational word of the year only to be hit by life circumstances, a lot of pain and hurt. So then I approached the next new year thinking there was a symbolic clean slate thinking there's going to be newness and healing and things are going to turn around only to be hit again with new pain and new hurt. Then I approach the next year and I say, okay, now this is going to be my year. I just know it. Things are going to turn around. Nope. So then I approach that next new year much differently. I became jaded by life and bitter and skeptical, and I decided I'm not going to put a word on the year. I'm not going to have any goals. I'm not going to expect anything because I'd rather feel nothing than to be hurt again. I became numb. And it was through a lot of help, a lot of journaling with God and therapy that I came to this self-awareness place that not only does my personality, it's more susceptible to slipping into numbness and running away from my pain rather than addressing it, but also that God does not want me to live that way. So one day someone asked me, did you allow yourself to be angry? 
did you allow yourself to be sad about this and cry it out? And I said, no, I don't like those things. <laughs> no, but don't worry, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I wasn't fine. God created our emotions. And we know that there are many scriptures that caution us against allowing those emotions to drive us and control us and drive our decisions. And that's a good thing because we mess that up. But our emotions themselves were created by God. He himself experiences not only joy, but pain and disappointment and anger. And so us being created in his image, of course, we're going to feel those things. In fact, he designed us that way. But Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to weep and a time to laugh. So all of those things, good and bad, are healthy. There's a time for them, but that's the thing. There's a healthy time and place and way to express them and to process them, and it's in the arms of the Father. God gave me this pretty profound picture one day, and it's going to sound silly, but it was through a kid's movie that was on TV. Yes, Finding Nemo was on TV. God can speak through anything, y'all. So we came to this scene where Dory and Marlin come to this trench. And they had just come from this group of fish that says, when you approach this trench, you've got to go through it, not over it. So she tells Marlin, something's telling me we have to go through this, not over it. And he says, are you kidding me? Look at it. It's scary and it's dark. We're not going through this. We're going over it. And much like when I read Ecclesiastes 3, I asked myself, a time to mourn, a time to dance, what if I don't feel any of those things? What if I'm just numb? That's a very dark and scary place to be. And so I look at this scene, and they decide to go over it and avoid the dark and scary place, and they encounter something even worse. The jellyfish field where they get stung and they almost die. And I looked at this scene and I looked at that trench and I knew that it symbolized my pain and my hurt and my negative emotions that I was trying to run away from. And God was telling me, the only way you're going to get to the other side of these is to go through it with me. I would rather you go through this trench with me by your side than for you to try to go around it or over it, avoid it in your own strength because that's when you'll get stung. And that's when I began to heal and grow. That perspective changed everything for me. Remember when I was 20 years old, I had a full-time job working at the government. I had a retirement plan. I had a thrift savings plan. I had a health care plan. Y'all, I felt like I was winning at adulting. I, I knew that God loved me, but I had a better plan than he did for my life. And that was definitely to build up my ego. I was so done living under someone's rules and under someone's roof. And so I partnered with my brother. We bought a house together. I was paying for my own schooling. I was going to pursue nursing because I knew it was just going to make me more money. In the end, I had a nice car. I paid for it in cash. I wanted to, to spend even more money to make it look nicer. And so I bought a body kit to, to make it look bigger, make it look badder. And then I wasted even more money by putting lights underneath the car because who needs to put 
the lights underneath the car. I did. Because I wanted to turn the lights on at night so that people can see that I'm living large and in charge, baby. I had the life that any typical 20-year-old would want. If not, I definitely had the ego to show for it. But it's ironic how you could have so much and still have nothing. Where you should be fulfilled, but yet you still feel empty. And I felt like that void. I felt like, God, there's got to be more to my life than just accumulating possessions. There's got to be more to my life than just doing whatever it is that I want to do. There's got to be more to my life than just trying to impress people I don't even like. There's got to be more to my life than doing things I don't want to do. There's got to be purpose. And I remember feeling that emptiness. I was standing I remember it clear as day. I was standing right outside the elevator doors at Fort Belvoir Army Hospital where God reminded me of a passage of scripture. Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler, someone who had all the resources in the world to get whatever possession he wanted, but yet he was missing something. And so the ruler approaches Jesus and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? What do I have to pay? Uh, who do I have to impress to get that kind of living that you're talking about, Jesus? And so Jesus begins to explain to him, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the rule's like, yeah, 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 I already did all those things. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looks at this man intently feeling genuine love for him. He says, one thing that you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then he says three powerful words, come follow me. Those three words rocked the ruler so much as his head hung low, his heart deeply saddened, and he walks away from Jesus. The scripture says he walks away because he had such great wealth. I felt like those three words hit me like a ton of bricks that afternoon. Come follow me. And much like the rich young ruler, I'd like to say I did, but I did follow Jesus, but I didn't. I walked away and I started thinking to myself, if I go with Jesus, then that means that this life that I have been building on, trying to get people's approval, trying to accumulate things, it can't go with me. All my things can't go with me. If I go with Jesus, I have got to come face to face with the reality that I don't really know my true identity because I've been building it on people's accomplishments and what others thought who I was and how I was living. If I go with Jesus, my ego can't go. So I left. And much like the rich young ruler, the greatest thing in his possession when he walked away was just merely that, it was things. And I started thinking to myself as I'm walking away from Jesus, so the greatest thing that my ego has ever given me was more insecurity, was more instability. That the greatest thing that my ego has ever gotten me was more emptiness. That the farthest that my ego could take me was this purposeless life, was this meaningless living. And if I wanted to grow beyond my emptiness, if I wanted to truly fill that void that I was missing in my life, I had to go a different direction. And I remember praying, God, if you would call me again, I want to start following you. And those three words was spoken over my heart, come follow me. 
And those three words led me to make a series of decisions where I ended up quitting my job, I sold my house, I stopped going to nursing school to pursue Bible college, to learn about this Jesus that I started following and so that I could tell about this Jesus that changed everything for me. Look, I'm not sure exactly where you're at today. I'm not sure where you find yourself today, but I believe that the same three words that he spoke to the ruler is the same three words that he speaks to to me and to you, come, follow me. And if we ever desire to grow beyond our emptiness, we have to go a different direction. And it wasn't until I let go of the ego to go with Jesus, that was the moment that changed everything for me. This weekend, you heard a lot of stories. You heard about the story of a struggle. You've heard about stories of tragedy. You've heard about stories of obsessions, of numbness, of ego. What does that spell? Stone. You see, every stone has a story. And every story is meant for us to share of the glory of God. And although our stories were, were, va- were vastly different from one another, the one thing that tethered our stones and made them transformed into stories was Jesus. And maybe this weekend you've, you've been carrying your stone for far too long and it's crushed you and it's burdened you. And much like Joshua telling the men, I want you to carry these stones, but I don't want you to carry it forever. I want you to put it in a pile. See, there's power in a pile and in and of our own strength, our own stones will crush us because we have a nature inside every single one of us called sin that not only crushes us, but separates us from God and all things good, and it leads us down a path of eternal ruin. But God loved us so much. He knew that there was power in the pile, and he knew that the stones had to go on top of something. So he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came into this place through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Our sins was heaped upon, piled upon the life of Jesus. The the shame, the separation, the struggle, the tragedy, the obsessions, the numbness, the ego was piled upon the life of Jesus and through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he defeated death once and for all so that those that would believe in Jesus by faith would have the stone of sin 